Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on the panel, we have Adi Eingar. Hello. And Alan Weimar. Hello. And your host, me, Sasha Wolf. And we have no special guest this week. It's a cozy panelist episode. And today we are going to talk about observability in the beam at large. Um, I'm basically going to give you the gist on how this came to be because I've been currently for a while now, I've been at work, I've been involved in like getting our observability set up better and up to speed. And the thing there is, I always wished for some kind of resource where I could go to kind of ask, okay, I'm building software on the beam. What kind of observability tooling does make sense for me? And what kind of observability tooling does answer which, which types of questions, you know? Because if you just very briefly maybe do a, a cursory search, you find something like Erlang tracing, like performance tracing. You find something like telemetry. You find stuff like open telemetry, which is an open standard. But of course, you also find plat uh, software as a solution, software as a service solutions like AppSignal or Datadog and so on and so forth. There's a whole slew of different things out there, all kind of to varying degrees, promising to be the do-all and all of observability. But um, when you kind of come from it, from an engineering perspective of, hey, this is not my area of expertise. I just want to get shit done and please help me understand what makes sense for my use case. There isn't really a single resource you can go to, at least I don't know about any. And this episode today wants to maybe not solve that problem, but kind of give an overview on like what kind of different solutions we've have, had experience with and also what kind of different solutions we've looked at and maybe dismissed and why, and also maybe some tips and tricks we learned along the way. So yeah, Adi, what is your experience of observability at large? Yeah, I mean, it's been different across different types of project, different scope of project, right? I'll, I guess I'll just like, get right into it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Alan mentioned earlier, Phoenix uh, Live View now shifts with Live Dash, or Phoenix itself shifts with like Live Dashboard now, and which is like built on Live View. I think that's like a very good place to start, get more insights into, you know, processes, what they're doing. The more process you register, the more insight you'll get. Obviously, you won't have, you know, the handle event that all the like tracing information of every call, but at least you can find state information over there. I think that's probably like what I consider like level one. <laughs> level two would be like, you know, more log driven, you know, collecting more log information and aggregating that along with some kind of live dashboard, right? AppSignal is a great easy tool to integrate with that kind of provides that interface and i guess like level three would be like you know trying to dig, in, dig into uh, telemetry or open telemetry and like finding ways to trace things in the order that they happen so you can like figure out bottlenecks in like a huge pipeline of operations right like that's something you need like when you have a huge project where you know latency matters a lot bottlenecks matter a lot where you spend your time impro improving the performance matters a lot so yeah i think it's again need-based i've worked in all three types of projects and you know it is fun <laughs> no matter what level you're at it's fun yeah, I agree. There's like one little tidbit where I would actually disagree in that I like tracing specifically is uh, in this case, I mean, distributed tracing is like that's one of the three pillars of observability. Uh, usually observability is split into three pillars like tracing, logs and metrics. And tracing is actually something I found very, very useful, not even in big, not necessarily in big projects, but in projects that are event driven, because um, that is usually a type of software where it can be hard to understand causalities, right? Like what happens because of 
of which thing and like what does that trigger then and so on and so forth. In that case, having something like uh, for distributed tracing where you can kind of see this causality. So like I can see, okay, this is the first request that came in that triggered that event that in turn ended up in these three handlers, which did some stuff, you know, um, that is super, super helpful to to understand how, how things actually work under the hood. Not even necessarily when the project is big or like high, highly performant, just when you have maybe, I guess when, when the complexity of the project is high, not necessarily when the load is high. Yeah, I was actually. I, I mean, I I would agree. I th- I think you eventually a project will reach a point very quickly. In in fact, where you would want that kind of information. Actually, it's funny. It reminded me of something I did in 2015. I was a junior engineer at that time, and I wanted tracing. I don't even know about. I think that time there was like Open Census was there. It was a huge uh, tool, right? I don't even know about all of these things. So what I did in Phoenix was I added a plug that just always at the end of the controller lifecycle, the connection that's returned, it would always raise an error. So I could call the underscore underscore stack trace, print it, (laughs) and then not raise the error and return the connection. So that stack trace, like the the entire trace of where the error came from, gave you then like some information of you know what path the con object, for lack of a better word, uh, the construct uh, like took in that path. But yeah, I mean, I can remember what what you're saying, Sasha. I can relate to it. Like even as a junior developer, I felt the need to do something like that. <laughs> it gets very important. The more tracing you have, the more uh, transparency you'll get in how the app works. Yeah, and also modern tracing solutions. And that is, I mean, Open Census is something that no longer exists. It got, uh, I think it's merged into what is yeah. now Open Telemetry. And modern tracing solutions, which I mean, you do get, for example, from these software as a service providers like Datadog and AppSignal. But in theory, you can also host this stuff yourself. There is, I think it was built by Uber, Jagger, which is a, a thing that can also process uh, open telemetry traces and they kind of visualize those. Um, but they also come along with like support for logs and other attributes. So like on, on your traces, you can actually then potentially see which the logs that have been generated over the duration of, the, of any particular span. You're talking about Jaeger, right? Jaeger, yeah. Oh, got it. Nice. I did not know that Uber built that. That's really cool. I think it was Uber, but I'm don't quote me on that. <laughs> but yeah, maybe like for our listeners, if you're not, not familiar with like what distributed tracing and all of the things we just mentioned mean. So like the idea for distributed tracing is, is that you can kind of correlate what happens in different parts of the system. Uh, and usually you do that through spans and span. One span is always like a fixed, like a, a thing that happens over a certain duration. So it has a fixed stop time it has a fixed end time and over that duration there might be for example additional events that might happen log messages that get attached so on and so forth and the big deal about why it's distributed is is that you can relate spans with each other so for example you can say that one span is the child of another span coming back to the example of earlier right like you emit maybe an event when a request comes in and you can as meta information give the span ID along for this event with that kind of was the span that I presented the request. Then you can use that span ID in any of the event handlers to say, okay, I'm now starting a new span for handling the stuff. And I'm pointing to the span ID as the parent of a new span that I started. And then the systems I mentioned earlier, the things that can kind of collect and correlate those things, they can show you, okay, this is now the request that came in and those are all the other spans, all the other things that happened afterwards. And that is, I feel this is one of those things which is really hard to understand how useful it is until you see it the first time in action <laughs> because it is really useful and it's, it, it is a little bit like magic in the sense of that like, I have not yet seen any other observability, any other um, monitoring technique that gives you this level of insight into a running system. Yeah, totally. I think also, I think just to help people view it, 
it like they usually like this, this you know the thing that then tray a trace is a collection of spans right like you show a trace mm-hmm. as like a gantt chart right like the like this function took this this part of this span it might have child spans too and then the next function of call is it's it, it lasted this long and it allows you to really again it, it, like trace where the problems are very very useful in like performance and bottleneck uh, investigation that it, it's the i think yeah like sasha said it's like the best tool available right now i think the whole span thing came from and sasha correct me if i'm wrong is it's called open tracing right like open tracing which yes, also, was yeah, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was it was open tracing and open sensors, and I think they both kind of merged into what is open, open telemetry. Yeah, telemetry. Yeah, yep. Yeah, but I mean, again, I mean, like this is like open telemetry. While it has very good support for the beam, it is an open standard. There is a whole bunch of other tools in in the beam ecosystem. So there is telemetry, which is honestly the naming is hella confusing. <laughs> <laughs> because we have telemetry and we have open telemetry. Although open telemetry does have good support in the beam, it's not strictly a beam thing, right? But why telemetry is the beam thing. Then you have, of course, like the usual logging, you have the performance um, tooling, like to trace performance bottlenecks on the beam, like the FPROF and EPROF and CPROF. Honestly, even to this day, I'm not entirely sure what the 100% difference between those things is. I know they exist and I've used them a few times. But if you uh, would ask me right now to tell you what is the difference between EPROF and FPROF, CPROF, I'd be stunned. <laughs> so and then again, like you have on probably other thing. I mean, Observer, right? Like Alan mentioned earlier, Observer, yeah. and like the, the, the monitoring tools you have there. And all of those exist and all of those are useful. But I'm even now at this point where I've been in Elixir for over six years, I still have a hard time articulating which of those tools is useful in which particular situation. Totally agree. Yeah, I know I know FPROF slows down the runtime. How I made myself remember that is that it Fs up. <laughs> Yeah, your system. <laughs> <laughs> so it's prof, but <laughs> Alan, what has your experience been with, with like all of these different toolings? Because I mean, before we started recording, you said like the whole tracing thing is not something you've looked that much into. So, what is your poison of choice? Yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely wanting to look into like the distributed tracing because I had a bunch of microservices for for a previous project, and that's something I wanted to look at. But said I didn't get a chance. Uh, the project had to stop. But for like straight up tracing, I, I just wanted to say that I don't know how many people actually use it. I mean, it's somewhat of an advanced thing. I mean, I first got introduced into tracing because of the book from from Francesco. I forgot the name of the book. It's like Building Scalable Applications with Erlang or something like that. That was super useful to kind of get into it. But of course, that's written in Erlang. But I did use, and I'm going to pick pick this later on, but just to kind of talk about if you guys have looked at Gig City Elixir 2023, Amos King's uh, talk about shepherding. He goes in there how to do this, the tracing in Elixir. And uh, I have a true life story actually where we actually use this to solve an issue. So on, on testing, people couldn't log in, but on production, we could. And we had no idea why. And we tried adding in logs and we couldn't figure out why. Because basically, we're using an OAuth login, using uh, Microsoft as a provider. But we added in tracing and we used his guide, Amos's guide on his video to, to do it. And it was super easy. Like basically, anybody could follow it. Just kind of gave the video to somebody and they did it. We found out, hey, it's because the token that we use for OAuth 2 has actually been expired, has to be rotated. But we could not find any way to, to figure out how to log that. But tracing in just a couple of seconds just made it work. So, I mean, we're not doing like crazy scale stuff, but stuff like that could be super helpful because sometimes it's really difficult to test, to check these kind of things in your local environment, in production. I mean, you know, so I think 
those are really more powerful, I think, sometimes rather than like distributed tracing and having this kind of like crazy stuff set up. But the other thing I think that's also kind of useful too is for another project, what we also are doing is we actually added extra metadata to our logs. So not only do we see like what they're doing, but we have like, we know who's being affected. So it's easy for us to kind of come back to them and say, well, you know, what were you doing or like what, you know, what were you working on? Like, because we actually added in some stuff to the logs. So that way we can have more idea about why certain things are failing. I don't know if you guys have done anything like that in your own stuff. Are you actually adding extra metadata? data to your logs to try to figure out what's going on when you see something happens. Yeah, definitely done that. Sasha looks bored out of his mind. It's <laughs> maybe too easy for you, but I mean, no, 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 these no, little no. things are, are very simple, but they're very powerful and they give you a lot of information automatically, right? No, but we've also been like, like uh, spring, sprinting additional metadata into our logs in a few places. We, we kind of want to automate some of that because um, if some of our listeners remember, like we, we our system we are building has like a more of a separation between different um, subdomains, different bounded contexts. So like we were talking about, for example, maybe having the bounded context, the thing happens in always as a metadata and a log message, but not having to pass it every time manually, right? So like those are the kind of things um, that, that we've also been exploring. Yeah, metadata for logs is something that is also very very useful, like when you want to correlate problems, uh, like when you just want to search for specific entries, right? And usually, in my experience, most log aggregators these days allow you to to query also by by, by metadata fields. Yeah, I the thing is where. I do regularly look at logs, but these days I often my first go to is not the logs, but is the um, is actually uh, traces and spans because I mean like just as you mentioned earlier, right? It doesn't even it can sometimes give you like an insight into parts of a system that are also grokkable through logs, but they require more brain power. And one of the biggest things for me there, for example, was in the one of the older system I worked at, where we also had a tracing setup, and we actually had um, every single call to our actor repos traced. Like we had a little wrapper. Around actor repos, which in every single call kind of started a span. And we had like one endpoint that was giving us a little bit of performance issues. And like through the logs, it was super, really hard to grok like what, which of those it was. And that was kind of the motivation for adding this tracing around every actor repo call. And then we did that. And then it became immediately obvious which of the calls became was, was the bottleneck because you re- really have this visual thing, right? Like the Adi mentioned earlier, it's this gun chart. And you, the longer a span takes, the wider it gets. So you could really see in that UI, okay, this like this query is fast, this query is fast. Oh, this is slow, right? Like you could visually see it without even having to kind of grok how long of how long of a how duration every query took. You could just see it intuitively. I there's, there's like again like I would like to actually circle back to to the some of the tooling available on the Beam, uh, for example, CProf, EProf, FProf, because some of those also allow you to do that. There's like uh, maybe not the the gun charts level of visualization, but there's for example, I think there's a flame graph you can generate was it from fprof it might, might have been from fprof and then i think yeah that's fprof yeah and that, that is something i've i think i've only used once so i'm curious like how much what is your experience adi and alan with, with those tools have you ever used like these built-in performance measuring tools the beam kind of ships with and if yes for what and what would you say are useful scenarios especially for our listeners where those tools are tool they can reach for i guess like the problem that as so i've used these tools a few times right like sometimes when i'm doing local benchmarking for certain things I do use these tools. Fprof just takes like, I think at times it just like increases the run the runtime of the app. I want to say like two or three X, which is, is not very convenient. I think Eprof is like a more light Wait, version of that, I think C prof C, I think stands just like count. It just counts the calls. I might be like mixing them up or something, but it's like somewhat like that. But yeah, I've used them a few times and sometimes I'll run them locally. I use them, but I think the most efficient way that I found is actually, I mean, that is what was the tracing tool in Erlang? 
is it recon trace? Am I, am, I, am I making this up? There's a tracing tool in our language right, that can like do capture very simple function calls. I, I might be making this up. Uh, there is a name of the tool. I, I might be na- making the name up, but I think it's, it's something... is, there is a recon trace tool. I'm not familiar with it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I think that's what I, if, if I'm doing something locally, that's what I rely on because obviously the transmitters and the process that capture the trace and collect them and transmit it to your provider, uh, Datadog, Grafana, wherever, they are not as available locally, right? So uh, Recon Trace is very easy to set up and like very easy to get information. And uh, it has a nice uh, syntax in which it prints to a file too, which kind of looks like a Gantt chart, which is so helpful. <laughs> Benchy is, I think, amazing. It just gives us such awesome data, like the whole uh, standard deviation, median, average, all that, like very, very useful data. So yeah, those are what I use when I run locally. But my instinct always is to, once I get very high level, low, with like low amount of local data, I want to run it in in an environment, like a production-like environment, and then like get more data. And like, I eventually use, you know, like, I mean, Datadog, AppSignal, all these services for that. What I really like about AppSignal, and I'm a huge fan because... I think Datadog's interface is very complicated. It has a huge learning curve. I and, agree. Right? There's a huge learning curve. And by the time you get to a point where you have created the dashboards based on how you <laughs> want to view data and others are forced to learn in that way, it, it's just so much investment. AppSignal gives you logs. You can add structured structured logging as well. And there's an awesome blog post by Sophie DiBernadetto that I will call out at the end of the podcast. And it, it adds logs. And using the timestamp, you can connect the, the Gantt chart of traces back and forth. You can go from traces to example logs and back and forth. It just was life-changing for me when I discovered this in 2018. And that's my go-to. Unfortunately, at my work, we don't use AppSignal. I had to create something like this in Datadog, which doesn't work nearly as well. But every other place, uh, and I, I have built MVPs for a lot of startups. I always use AppSignal, and it's always everyone's go-to place to see the impacts of making, you know, say a performance improvement or changing the path, critical path of the application. So, but yeah, your original question again, EEProf and all these tools, I use them for local. I've used them for local stuff, but I feel like I've graduated to like using Recon Trace and Benji to get more local insights. Sorry, it was a long answer. No, I think it was a much very valuable answer. I, like I used Benchy a lot before, actually. I never tried FProp, but maybe I should take a look at that. But Benchy is super simple. I use Benchy in a particular project where I was parsing like thousands of XML files. And I was using, uh, X, was it XML something? I forgot the name now. It's like required when you use uh, AWS. Anyways, it basically is blowing out my memory whenever I was trying to like figure out like what's going on. So I actually ended up rewriting that some of the code, like half the code in Rust is so much more performant. And I ran Benchy to kind of prepare uh, like profile the two to see the difference in, in speed. It was just insane. I wasn't getting proper metrics for some things. I think that's still a problem right now, probably because you're going outside the beam, I'm guessing. But yeah. uh, definitely, um, it was helpful to kind of get an idea about like, is this faster? Is that faster? Again, I'm, I mean, it was pretty straightforward, but I, I would like to kind of try out like these other ones, like the FProf and everything. I didn't even know about them because I, 
Benji is already so great. Yeah, Benji is super useful about um, like getting the, the insight into what kind of like how fast certain things are performing and to compare those, right? Like F prof and C prof and E prof. Even again, I would have to look into the specifics there, but they are useful for understanding the performance. More like, like tracing. One, yeah, more like tracing for one particular piece of code. And I think yeah. what you can kind of probably summarize what you just said, Adi, right? Like, it's like that those tools, Benji, C prof, E prof, F prof, um, that those are very useful for like when developing, right? Like when you are actually on your machine building stuff, right? Like even you want to figure out, okay, why is this thing slow, for example, or what, which of those different approaches is faster, right? And so yes. kind of before it hits production, I would say. I'm not saying that they are useless in a production context, but um, I personally have never, like you can in theory, like go into remote console, right? Then use them on a running system. I've literally never had the need to do that. Probably some of the, the old, older Erlang people would now scoff at me. <laughs> <laughs> but in I think like for our listeners, right, like as somebody that has been that's getting into the ecosystem, then it's it's a good rule of thumb to to think of about these tools as the things you use when building things, when trying to understand the performance of a particular piece of code, not necessarily when you are have want to understand code that is running right now in production. That is something, as you just mentioned, Ali, where platforms like AppSignal and, and Tracing, and I'm, I don't, I'm not sure where Recon Trace would fall into that. Are yeah, it would. It would. Interesting. Yeah, okay. It gives you, so with like Mix, Mix also has tracers, right? Like you can get the compile time information with like writing like a mix tracer and capture all those like remote function calls and stuff. But Recon Trace is doing that for runtime. Okay, interesting. And then uh, you have, I mean, like you have uh, telemetry. <laughs> Adi Allen, does any one of you feel up for defining what telemetry actually does? Yeah, telemetry, I think, is kind of more like the f- getting some metrics about certain pieces of your code. A lot of times it's about like memory usage or time. I think a lot of times we use it like time for when something happens. So like a really good use case that maybe not everybody knows about. But, you know, when you're doing development locally with Phoenix and something hits your endpoint and tells you how long it took to give a response. So that's actually done using telemetry, where it's basically there's like a, I think what I'm probably sure what comes up underneath is that there's a, a start time and then end time when it gets returned within your endpoint. And that one has the, you know, that's basically a telemetry right there. Is, is that how you would say it, Sasha? I don't know. Probably could be a more elegant way to say it, but that's for sure one example. That is also something how I used to think about telemetry because I never really looked into it in depth. And I've had to do that over the past few days and I've come to understand that the telemetry is actually, it is used for doing that. But it's, it's surprisingly simple um, because telemetry itself doesn't really do anything much, to be honest. I think it's an event store. Yet not even that. That is the thing. It's not even an event store. It's um, like what telemetry like fundamentally does is it gives you this module you can call to say, okay, this thing happened, right? It has like also a one, like an, it has like an execute function, which is like more of, okay, this thing happened right now and an event happened with some attributes and some metadata. And it also has a span function, which under the hood just calls execute two times, right? Like start and potentially uh, not just end, but also an error case, right? Like when an exception is raised, stuff like that. So it wraps that somewhat nicely, but that's it. Like those are the things it does. And then you can, on the telemetry level, you can register handlers which can do whatever with that information 
And that is, that is it. That is what Telemetry does. Not more, not less. The thing is that there's a whole bunch of additional libraries you can use for this, for example, Telemetry Metrics. And that is something which you can then use to, for example, have a handler which aggregates metrics. And that is something which usually ships with a Phoenix. You can have, it kind of comes predefined with a bunch of Telemetry Metrics like CPU usage and memory and Good gosh, I don't know, a whole bunch of other things. But those under the hood use the telemetry events that get published through this, through this interface. And the interesting tidbit there is, is that telemetry itself doesn't even do any kind of processes. Like there's no, there are no processes involved. Every time you call execute, um, that actually goes through the list of handlers that are subscribed to this particular event and just calls them in line. And under the hood, that particular handler then might put that into a process, right? Like it might put it, cast it into to a process group or whatever, or put it into some kind of pipeline. Um, but they, it, it, it all stays inside of the same process, which I always looked at telemetry and also at the events published by, by Phoenix from, through it and other libraries. And I kind of thought of what was like this, this, this complex, as you just said, like an event store or something like that. And it, it's surprisingly simple. And I think my, some of the confusion, at least for me, came from the fact that you have open telemetry and you have telemetry and you kind of would presume that they go in a similar direction. But turns out they, they really don't. Like the only thing they have in, con- in common is they have a concept of a span. That's about it. <laughs> And what I've now come to understand is like, why do we even have this thing, right? Is that before there was telemetry, you still had libraries like Phoenix or Absinthe or a whole bunch of other libraries, which you as an, as somebody that puts these things into production as an engineer, where you still would be interested, okay, like how is this performing, right? Like I kind of want to monitor this. I kind of want to peek inside and get an idea about some, how long some things are taking, what kind of things are happening. But there was no unified API for making that happen. So if a library bothered with that at all, some just didn't, right? Um, then it did its own homebrewed thing. And that is where telemetry comes in. Telemetry is kind of the, the, the unified model for, for tackling this to like say, okay, you as a library, you can use the telemetry to emit events and to have spans. And then your uh, your consumers, the people that are actually installing you and using you, they can subscribe to these events and do whatever with them. And for example, what I'm building now at work, uh, after I really crocked this, and I, I had to read for the source code of this thing to like really understand, okay, this is this is there's no not not more to this than than the things are just laid out. Like the abstraction layer I'm building is actually using telemetry, like it is using telemetry, and I'm now building an open telemetry handler that takes these telemetry events and. Translates them into open telemetry concepts, so like into spans and events and logs and so on and so forth. And in theory, you could even, if you wanted to, you could say you could replace your logging mechanisms, which telemetry execution calls, and then have a handler would actually puts them into logs. Like that is a thing you could do. I'm not sure why you would do that, but you could. Or the other way around, you could have like a log of log formatter. Was it formatter? I forgot. And it's not formatter. Yeah, a formatter, right? You could have a log formatter that re-emits these things. It's telemetry events because there is not much magic happening under the hood and yeah um, that is actually what telemetry is so that i hope forever whoever is listening right now it kind of dispels this this magic <laughs> around the library because while like the, the, the documentation talks that this is like this unified library meant for monitoring purposes i really didn't grok it until i i used it and it looked under the hood and i'm not even sure why maybe because it looks like more from the outside. Yeah, I think I think I probably didn't say it right. That's kind of what I meant by even starting a way to uh, capture 
and handle certain events, but make sure to keep their time like in, in you know into account. That's where the span comes in. But yeah, you're right. It's a way to dynamically dispatch events while making sure that time is taken into account. <laughs> yeah, but but not, not even like using any of the OTP goodies. We are kind of right, right. There's no process, nothing. Yeah. Yes, yes, and that is that is. I think that is for me at least the thing that there's no state to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's awesome, right? That's like that allows you to. I think it really is so agnostic of how you, your state of your span between different execute calls, right? D different handler calls. And I think it's great. You know, if you, if 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 your if your spans, for example, and in my in my company it's a problem. If your spans can go really long and <laughs> you have like multiple calls being made to your application and you store the state of your span, you could start using memory <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> and with telemetry, not relying on that, you know, not storing a state somewhere and just like assuming the state is captured agnostic of the application outside of the scope of the application i think it's it's, it's a very good architecture yeah and the really nice like the really really powerful tidbit and that is what i've only been crocking now is actually how because it, and on the surface it might seem like okay this neat but why not use open telemetry direct, directly right and would have said to that like yeah you're right like a few weeks ago but now i actually understood okay the thing is here I can now have this handler that translates it into open telemetry concepts, but I can also have a handler that kind of aggregates it into a metric and make them accessible through Phoenix Live dashboard. I can have a handler that enriches my logs through it. I can have a, have a handler that I don't even know right now what I could be doing, right? Because it is all so, so without any bells and whistles that it's the level of extensibility there is sky is the limit, basically. Right? Like if you can think of it and like you know, the information is available through the events, you can probably build it. And that is kind of the, the beauty of it. Like we, we've been um, like the, one of the things again, like coming back to the, to the like the architecture we're going with, with these different separate bound contexts out of the application. We've already been like kind of thinking, okay, like can we have dashboards for each of these bounded contexts, be it in Datadog or be they locally served? And buying into telemetry here and like using that as our mechanism to track uh, track events, like like monitoring events and spans and traces, gives us that ability. We can still export them. To, to open telemetry and have them in Datadog, but we can also aggregate them and kind of represent them in a different way that makes sense for that particular subdomain without going through multiple hoops, through going to, through a Datadog agent that goes to Datadog and then maybe we aggregate it there, so on and so forth, right? So maybe coming back to the very, to the very first question, what is telemetry? Telemetry is a library that allows you to decouple your metric and your monitoring logic from the actual business code by sprinkling in occasionally calls to telemetry in that code and saying, okay, this thing happened now, this thing happened now. Then you can have it in a different place, subscribe to those things and make monitoring happen, basically. That is what telemetry does. Not more, not less. Any other tools you found useful? I just wanted to like highlight what you said, Sasha. It's nothing more, nothing less. Uh, given, given an example, you can put telemetry execute in your uh, router pipeline and use that as a rate limiting mechanism. <laughs> it, you, it could have nothing to do with logs, monitoring. Could just literally every time someone makes a request, IP address to endpoint, store that somewhere yeah. in an agent and literally make it independent of 
your actual code. And yeah, anyway, it, it just literally can be used for anything. <laughs> yeah, as long as the information is present, you need, right? That, that is right. the whole tidbit. Like the, the information needs to be passed along, but that's that's it. Yeah, there was something else that came to my mind, but now I, I lost it. I, I think the other thing too is like general metrics. I don't know, maybe, the, maybe we kind of cover this about like, you know, CPU usage and, and this kind of stuff. And also even using Observer to kind of peek into processes and seeing if their mailbox is filling up. They have this kind of idea about, you know, do I need to add more uh, workers? Do I you know, this kind of stuff, or even like database query time, but I guess you can just use telemetry with that. I mean, definitely use telemetry to kind of log query times and figure out like, do I need to add something? Do I need to bump up my database specs? Bumping up database specs obviously oh. helped a lot. So did also adding proper indexing. That helped a lot too. Yeah, that's a good point on the database. I think with the database, you also need insights from the database too, right? Just getting the client-side insights, like how long a query takes, uh, obviously will help to some extent, but then there could be a million reasons why database queries are slow. Like it could be very well wait CPU weights, <laughs> certain tables being replicated, for example, if you're using read replicas and stuff. So yeah, I think that <laughs> yeah, the database level insights also would be are, are, are very useful. Yep. I think I mean Ecto, for example, is also instrumented using telemetry. Like so yeah, there, there you have events there. The one thing I because I mean, we are now have this open standard and now we're leaving Beamland a little bit, but we have this open standard of open telemetry. And like, I mean, the Beam actually is, if, if you look at the different implementations um, for open telemetry, the Beam is really, really the kind of spearheading this. And what I've always wondered is like, is there plans or is there already integration on like this kind of, of open standard of observability into technologies like Postgres? Because I mean, why not, right? Like Postgres, if you wanted to, could also emit metrics and logs and traces in like an open telemetry compatible format. Same for Redis or any other technology out there. And I, I feel, I'm not, I mean, like maybe any of you knows, I, I genuinely don't. I do know that I thought this already like five years ago, that that would be super neat, right? Like if I could kind of extend my traces beyond the reaches of my own system, beyond the things I control and, and enrich the, 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 the traces through the things that are happening inside of those systems. Yeah, I think connecting the trace would be obviously, you know, very hard. But I know like Postgres has their, I, I know like different proprietary tools, like Datadog, like that's when you use a lot, Sasha, right? So they have very good open telemetry collector for Postgres. It's just hard. <laughs> like to con uh, connect your application traces with Postgres, it just would be a next, especially if you start using like PG Bouncer or some other connection pooling in between on top of Ecto's pools, right? It's yeah. just pretty almost impossible to connect if that's where you're going. Yeah, I, I am going there. But I, as far as I know, that like Open Telemetry does also specify standards for doing that, but like for how communicating trace information between distributed and, and dis uh, separate services across the network. So again, if like something like open, the, the maintainers of Open Postgres really wanted to, they, they could build that in. Just, yeah, I'm sure you can. I just don't, I think it's beyond, I think uh, at least the way open telemetry works in a distributed fashion is like having some kind of a unified context, right? I think that, especially if you have like active sessions, it, that would just be very hard to track, <laughs> right? Like that's the whole point of Ecto connection pools to keep connections alive and make different queries later, different traces, different pipelines. I, I'm sure there's a solution. I just, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> with with the current way open telemetry works, I just can't think of one. But maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, I'm also not an expert on, on the particular um, like implementation details, but I've always looked at it from like the consumer side of like this would be really neat, you know, like if I oh, yeah. kind of kind of see. I mean, like, like I said earlier, right? Like we we spotted this performance issue in like one of our Ecto queries by actually instrumenting every Ecto repo call. But just imagine if if we could have kind of gotten that for free because something like Postgres actually exports open telemetry compatible data and you can just import that and correlate that with the calls you do to the database right yeah it will be so powerful and i've been surprised to see and honestly if like any of the listeners out there know about this and please let me know but i've been surprised to see that this that now that we do have this open standards that not more of the the the, the, the software that, that runs the world so to speak right like postgres is kind of part of the software that runs the world that those are not investing more time into having an implementation for these standards and allowing people to monitor their, 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 their software this way. Yeah. I mean, I do think Datadogs, Postgres, I forget the word they have or whatever adapter they have. Right? I think that, that is pretty good. Yeah, I think how it works is I think it ties a query to a connection or a session based on a time frame. So as long as at your application level, you can tell that this span used this connection, you can like with some sort of you know there'll be some margin of error obviously right but like within that margin of error you can tell that these are related but i i know that there have been efforts made by datadog and AppSignal kind of has a not as good as datadog <laughs> database uh, tool but i think AppSignal also has a neat one but i know, I know that's how the datadog one works obviously i don't know the details because it's proprietary but yeah it would be nice it'd be a, it would it would be very useful if we could have that Okay, so maybe let us summarize. But right? like we have, we have tooling like like eProf, fProf, and Benchy, and so on and so forth for like local performance um, optimizations and, and measuring. We have tools for for understanding a running system at large, and to that logs contribute, of course, but also metrics and traces. And we we have telemetry, which is honestly kind of the glue in between and making it more more agnostic and not everybody removing a necessity for every library to homebrew it. What else is there? I mean, we also briefly talked about Observer and Live Dashboard. Like, what about all of the other metrics you and information you can export from a running Beam instance, right? Like, you, you the schedulers, for example, you can get information on those. And I think Live Dashboard does ship with some uh, OTP-specific information out of the box in terms of, like, showing that to you. I don't have it in front of my mental eye right now like what is the the story there like what kind of information do you get there and how do you get it like what what is the interface looking like there does any of you know adi alan i think you can see some of the running processes and there's also some i forgot it's been a while but maybe i have to look it up but i i think there's a way that you can like take a look at the requests coming in yeah i think one of the things to be useful for is also like memory allocation in elixir obviously or lang the process copying the entire <laughs> memory can get very problematic at points. I think that's where I remember using Observer for. I think one of the top tabs it had memory allocators and others are processes tab as well. So yeah, that's useful. I think it also tells you which processes. I forget what is is, is it called the is it the get state function that returns what is the current function being executed in the process. I forget what it, what function you call, but you can see where each process is. What is the function the current process executing in one of the top tabs i think it's called like trace or something but yeah <laughs> i haven't used the observer since like I, th- I think it's been like four or five years <laughs> but it was a very neat tool yeah you can also plot some of the metrics right so if you have some specific 
uh, custom telemetry. You can you can plot them out and see what they were over time. There's also re- so it's called re- the request logger, where you can see information such as say you know like for certain requests, what are all the logs that came out of that request. And there's also some something that's really interesting too is the OS data or like the homepage. You can see what version of Phoenix you're running, version of Erlang you're running, how much memory you're using, and even some specific information about the, the computer itself. Like I think I almost ran into a problem where we're actually running out of disk space. So you can also see that kind of stuff too for the OS data and also the memory, general memory, like how much you how much you have. So this is quite a lot of interesting stuff. It's kind of like you can see things that Observer would normally give you, but also some of the stuff that I think Observer doesn't give you, like how much disk space you have left on the host and things like that. Does any of you know how how the dashboard like actually collects all this information under the hood? I mean, I also know that it, for example, shows the numbers of registered atoms, and I know that those are things you can readily get from the runtime. Um, but for example, like the, the specific details of like what is the process uh, mailbox of a particular process something that you get through observer for example do you know like what kind of, of like interface what kind of integration like how, how i think it's just tracing tracing okay but like yeah. what specifically i mean like it's all of this like i mean that is again because like this is like otp land right this is right call core library like standard library things so how are those things instrumented do you know that i, I think that's what i think you, we from what i remember and alan correct me if i'm wrong it looks like you've used observer more recently than i have i think you can get observer data for process state and traces and stuff only after you start the observer that makes me think that it uses tracing traces have not been started unless you start observer right because that's and relatively inexpensive operation. The process information, like I said, like that you can get on runtime, that you can get any time, like, you know, n- a number of schedulers and all that stuff. So that, again, that's why I think it uses tracing. Um, it is also not real time. I remember, I think it, it probably has a refresh time to decrease load too. I remember it wasn't very, if you're running a lot of operations, it wasn't very, yeah, real time. Yeah, that's my I, guess. I, for sure, like, if you, like, I've started up Observer after starting up, like, a lot of work in the background and, like, looking at the load chart, you kind of like to see it starting after some time. So for sure, it must be after it started. Yeah, I'm, I'm mainly asking because um, we briefly talked about telemetry. I mean, not only see briefly, we, we talked a bunch about telemetry, but telemetry is outside of the standard library, right? Like it's a library you install. So I'm actually curious to to understand how these um, standard library things are instrumented and what are they using under the hood and, and, if, and how easy it is also like for a day-to-day engineer to hook into that. Um, it's probably not super hard, but I mean, I've been working with Elixir for over six years now and i don't know and apparently the two of you also don't <laughs> so sorry the, the question the question was about how the telemetry stuff works how, no no how the telemetry but how how the standard library is instrumented to get this information like well, what it, i mean like oh i'm willing to bet 100 bucks that it is tracing what, what exactly are they like what is the light what is the, the i think the, there's a library but like yeah i think there is a, i forget and i think it's like tbb or something like that there's a tracing library let me go that right <laughs> TTV, not TVB, T Trace Tool Builder. I think that's what it uses. Oh, okay. There's, there's also Erlang Tracer. I just saw that there's also a, a module that exists. But interesting. I never had the need to dig into any of those details on this level. But again, like, I mean, like when I come back to the very first question I asked at the start of the episode, right, it would be so cool if I could get kind of an overview, like if I would, if I would have a guide to go, okay, these exist, right? Like if you wanted to, you can reach for them. Um, because even to this day, I discover modules and details about the beam where where I think, oh, this is useful to know. And like sometimes even, oh, I only wish I would have known about this, I don't know, a year ago. 
um, like like one of these um, secret tip modules uh, is like uh, how's it called again? There's an Erlang module which uh, you can use like as a kind of a global key value storage beyond ETS. I always forget how it's called, but it basically it allows you to write to it, and the write writing is is it just global? Version. It's really global, global, yeah. It is is the name global? <laughs> no, it's not global. <laughs> okay, it's not global. Persistent term. Persistent term is the module, and it is. Oh like, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, honestly, like I didn't have to reach for it very often. The thing about persistent term is reading from it is oh one like super fast. Writing to it becomes slower the more keys you basically write to it. So it's really optimized for reading. But in some use cases, it is really useful. And like for example, I've used it in one context where we were, had to read a configuration file from disk and then had to refresh it regularly, right? So and what the there was one process that read on it, read from the file, put it into persistent term, and like every minute read it again, checked if it changed, right, and put it in. Yeah. And for but if you don't know about these things, that is the thing. If you don't know about them, then how how could you use them? And I feel that especially in the terms of observability and monitoring and so on and so forth, the Beam has some really really powerful modules and capabilities, but I probably don't know half of them. And it would be so useful to have like one place to go to and, and, and get an overview of like how okay for example OTP is instrumented like this and that maybe some of our listeners are more coming more from the Erlang side and they now think hey there is actually some guides on that but here link, I can link to that but obviously I didn't find them <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just wish there there there, there was a place I could go to and and that kind of ask okay like what kind of of tool now does make sense for for my monitoring for my observability use case. Okay, is there anything you would like to add? You would like to give to our listeners uh, so piece nuggets of wisdom before we go to picks. There's just way too much stuff in the beam. It's hard to keep track. I don't know how how the hell Adi learns all this stuff. <laughs> and even you too. It just I didn't have much of a life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do have life out. You don't have much life outside of your PS5, right? So that's my good point. Good point. <laughs> but yeah, okay. I, I'm just impressed with like all the stuff that the Beam has. It's insane. And like, I still have to defend like why Elixir Erlang is like a, a good choice for running, for making systems out of because it's just not, it's funny that people use it a lot, but nobody really talks about it compared to other things. So like a lot of times they're like, oh, people use it for, you know, Pinterest is using it, Apple has is using it, you know, like Pepsi is using it. It's just insane. And uh, people still knock on it because not, I don't know, it's like, we, it's like we're spending all our time building things with it that we don't have time to like talk about how awesome it is. This is kind of weird. I agree. I agree. It's, uh, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense when you consider that the Beam has been around for like three decades now, right? Yeah. Okay, then let us go to picks. Ali, what is your no life pick? <laughs> I guess I guess like since Sasha was saying he wished there were yeah, he knew more about some of these hidden gems in Erlang. I will mention one of the ones that came to my mind. You know, Erlang has a trace function, right? You can like trace all the process calls, great for mocking and all that, right? Or, or just Erlang.trace if you're using Elixir. There's an Erlang trace underscore pattern function. That is great for tracing function calls, which is, I have not seen a blog post about that. So I know people use Erlang.trace a lot for process message passing tracing, but check out trace underscore pattern. That is so useful, very useful to know for, for testing, you know, to make sure certain functions are called and all that. Delegates, testing delegates properly. Yeah, it's super neat. Interesting. I've never I've never heard about it. <laughs> so yeah, good pick. Ellen, what are your picks? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to pick that video uh, shepherding 
uh, from Amos King from Gig City Elixir 2023. I think it's a great it's a great video. He talks about different ways that you can kind of figure out what's going on, what's going wrong with your with your program, and he actually does it like real time. Like he made a program, there's a bug in it. He talks about how he you know started from the outside in and started to figure out, okay, well I think this is what's wrong, and then started like instrumenting to see what is the problem and figured out and fixed it. And anyways, I think it's a really great uh, video for this topic at least. Nice. I love that you both have picks that are relating to the topic because I, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My pick for this week is actually like a purely entertainment-based pick because I recently got a Steam Deck and I really like it. It's a really nice piece of hardware. You, you copied off of me. I've been talking about Steam Deck for a long time now. Yeah, I think yeah. you said, you told me you didn't want to get a Steam Deck if I remember correctly. You're like, no, yeah, no, I'm I, a PC guy. I'm I, not getting a Steam Deck. I, I think I said, like, I, I've really been thinking about getting a Steam Deck, but it's so expensive. <laughs> that was me. That was me, Alan. I think it was the anti-Steam Deck. Oh. But yeah, it's a really nice piece of technology there. The thing where for which I got it for was like, I have a whole bunch of games in my library, which um, I really want to play, but smaller, like indie-ish games. And I honestly, I, I don't sit down in front of my desktop PC to play those. I, I just don't. And like when I, when I do that, I, I play, play something usually with, with friends online, right? But I, I, there are some of these games which are more, I don't know, for me, they're more like cozy games. And even if they are difficult to play, and I kind of want to puddle on the couch or like in my arm, share and like with a nice cup of tea and play them there and that is what the Steam Deck has been allowing me to do um, for example and then I can maybe lead into my next pick a game I've been playing on my Steam Deck and I really 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 enjoyed is uh, Everhood and Everhood is a pixel role play like a role playing game in like a pixel style the thing is it's it's a rhythm role playing game because every like you do have battles against enemies but it's kind of like music and rhythm and you have to dodge projectiles that are coming in the rhythm of the music it's really difficult <laughs> and weird and trippy but super great so if you are into like maybe a bit more difficult games and also if you are into games that are breaking out of the of well-trodden and well-known formulas then everhood you should definitely check out nice okay folks then i hope you found this useful I hope it kind of gives you an all-around view on observability and tracking and metrics on the beam, even if I don't think we, we, we could satisfy the initial question, but I also didn't expect us to do. But I hope you learned a thing or two, and maybe you come back to this episode at some point and think, hey, they talked about this one thing, let me check it out again. And honestly, if that happens, then job done. <laughs> it was a pleasure talking to you, Ali Allen. Same here. And I hope you all enjoyed listening to us, and tune in next time with another episode of Elixir Mix.